All characters, businesses, and events in this podcast are entirely fictional. Any resemblance to real persons, entities, businesses, merely coincidental. Mysteries and Madness involves Lovecraftian horror and as such can contain scenes of violence and gore some may not find to their tastes. We have been known to drop a couple filthy fucking... <laughs> filthy fucking good. We've been known to drop the odd filthy fucking F-bomb. Sorry, Dad. Don't say we didn't warn you. Because <laughs> we did just now. <laughs> In a parallel 1940s soup. There's another fucking engine on this thing. Train, train, go away. Trying to record a podcast, yeah. So I can play Fortnite and Cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> That's some loud ass stuff, eh? It's not even that bad on the mics, though. You really can't hear it. No, no you really can't. On. Let's just press on, hey? In a parallel 1940s, supernatural terrors do exist, and a lone private investigator named Jack Shepard takes cases that lead to dark ends. This is Mysteries and Madness, a podcast where two friends play a detective role-playing game presented as a radio drama. I'm Dave Colmine, the director of our game. I know who's done it, and I portray the locations and characters in our story. And I'm Todd Sullivan. I play Jack Shepard, a former reporter and current private investigator, looking into some of the dark and seedy corners of the L.A. underworld and underbelly with a haze of liquor in my eyes. This is Mysteries and Madness, The Case Files of Jack Shepard, Case 2, The Nurse and the Explosives, Chapter 4. Jack Shepard, it is the morning of Saturday, October 12th, 1945. Good morning. How am I feeling today? Jack Shepard, you wake numb and ignorant. This is a familiar feeling. <laughs> yeah. Why does this feel so familiar? Yeah. You're fulfilled with a mild sense of deja vu as, as wake, well. yeah. <laughs> numb, and ignorant. You have a finished chart now for all the different things? No. The, no. I've been out of town. Okay. Uh, I, I should have kept it. it with me on the road. I should have brought some stuff with me, but I didn't. Whatever. It really bums I'm me I'm just out. gonna keep bugging you about no, the, no, I'm, I'm working the incomplete on it. chart. I'm working on it. I'll just keep rolling four so it doesn't matter. Thank you. Please do. <laughs> so you wake up numb and ignorant, which means that you gain an extra die on all of your cool and stability checks because you're kind of just numb and ignorant to the world. So you're, you're cool as a cucumber and quite stable. Unfortunately, on all your other test results, you get a minus one to the final result of all of their challenges. So uh, fingers crossed that I'm seeing a lot of cool and stability challenges today. So welcome to the morning of Saturday, October 12th, 1945. You numb, ignorant bastard. Thank you. How's my ankle today? Actually, your ankle is mildly improved. Uh, the minus two that you have on all athletics rolls is reduced to a minus one Woo! as your ankle is healing. Yes. Yay. I will just say if you badly fail an athletics roll. It's going to get bad again. Yeah, well, yeah. we're going to add to the number again. 
my I'm gonna have an a- ongoing ankle injury problem. It's gonna be a thing for my character. <laughs> this is the long story arc of the, the uh, old ankle. How how I ended up with a long term ankle problem and needing a brace. So once you are awake, how do you start your morning? What is your what is Jack Shepard's morning routine, Todd Sullivan? We've gone over this before. You know, some water, some coffee, a little splash of whiskey in that coffee. Read the newspapers. All right, so you head down and grab the paper. And I got a couple articles here for Excellent. you to read. All right. Saturday, October 12th, 1945. Historic church vandalized with a bang. Atop a hill in the arid foothills of northern San Bernardino Valley sits the ancient Santa Muerte Church. The church's caretaker arrived to a terrible sight Friday morning, a smoldering hole where the front doors should have been. Police say it appears an explosive was used to blow up the front of the church. Oddly, the church's small safe was intact, with the only item missing being a decorative wood altar. Church caretaker Ira Lowen. Such a tragic act of vandalism, this church had stood here since before there was electricity. We lost a bit of history today. It's truly sad. The altar was supposedly from the era when the church was built and quite large. Anyone who may have seen it or knows anything is asked to contact police. Along with that article are some photos. There's a black and white photo of the front of the church. With its, it's a, it looks like a single room church with its small white steeple. And then there's still a little bit of smoldering smoke from the top of this kind of burnt edged large opening in the front of the church where there would have been uh, doors previously. Um, in the article is also a picture of what the inside of the church used to look like, an old black and white photo of the inside of the church. And you can see in the back of that photo, this large wooden short table. Uh, the sitting, altar. The altar sitting at the back of the church. And uh, I mean, it's hard to tell from a photo, but it looks to be of uh, dark uh, and and it's made of wood and it's it's carved. But any details from the photo are really difficult. This is something for me to follow up because it involves explosives, which is good because I wasn't sure what I was going to do today. Uh, There's one more story here, though, worth noting, I think. It's called, Where Are the Johns? John Harmon, the Holy Wisdom Church leader who has been missing for nine days, remains a mystery. Police have little comment while suspicions mount that there's something fishy happening in Almeida Street. In an area known as LA's unofficial red light district, Johns are going missing. John Harmon's car was found abandoned in the notoriously sketchy area of Almeida Street Wednesday. Now we can add another John to the list, John Buckley. John Buckley was reported missing Friday morning, but no one has seen him since Tuesday afternoon. His friends report that while Buckley was a solid guy, he would frequent Almeida Street in search of his vices and fear something happened to him there. Buckley's vehicle, a dark blue 1941 Ford half-ton pickup, has not been found. Suspiciously, a black 38 Ford Coupe was found in the same area on Tuesday belonging to missing person Ed Greer. Greer was reported missing Monday by his family after not coming home Saturday night. Coincidence? Repeat kidnapper? Something worse? LAPD have refused to comment further. So there you go. Uh, Beautiful weather through the weekend. Supposed to be a uh, blue skies and 98 degrees uh, with a full moon on Sunday. The Global Symposium on Chemical Engineering at UCLA kicks off its lecture series today. The brightest minds discuss the future of medicine, fuels, and the new marvel, plastics. Lecture times and the names are listed below, and it seems like basically all day through Saturday and Sunday, there are lectures at UCLA from experts in chemical engineering. Okay, um, what time of day is it? 
You tell me. What time did uh, Jack get up this morning? Oh, it's normally like a 10 o'clock thing. Sure. It's about 11 o'clock. Did I take a shower yesterday? It's been so many weeks since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so many weeks since yesterday. Yeah. It's a really cool thing. That sounds cool. <laughs> I think I did. So um, I'm just going to hit the road and visit the Santa Muerte Church. You take a long drive out to the north end of San Bernardino Valley and start heading into the dry foothills. These tan hills of dry grass and sagebrush. little gravel parking lot in front of the smoldering remains of a church. And you arrive to a bit of activity. There's a couple pickup trucks in the parking lot, and it looks like people are getting to work at covering up the large hole on the side of the church. And there appears to be uh, a nun, a woman in her habit, who uh, appears to kind of look like she's sort of directing or at least supervising what's going on here on the job site. Okay, I'll approach her. Chuck, yeah, put that stuff over there. That's looking great. I appreciate that. Uh, oh, hello. Ira Lowen, can I help you? Hi, my name's Jack Shepard. I'm a private investigator. Well, hello. Uh, what brings you out here? Well, uh, I'm investigating some missing explosives. And the fact that your church seems to have had some explosive damage made me think it might be related to the case that I'm investigating. Is that so? Oh, I really must put you in touch with Constable Fitzpatrick then. Please do. The man uh, in charge of our case. I have his card in my car. Let me grab it. Ira returns from her car with a card for Constable Fitzpatrick. Ben Fitzpatrick of the San Bernardino Police Department. I'm sure he would be really love that information. Is there anything I can help you with? Uh, I'm curious about what you can tell me about the altar that was stolen. Yeah, as well as the caretaker of the Santa Moreta Church. I'm also a historian for it. So yes, I can help you with that. There's a time back in history when this area was ruled by Mexico, and that's when this church came to be, somewhere around 1830. There's not much known about the minister that built this church, Minister Blackwell. Did, did he build the altar as well? It's said that he carved that altar and led the church until his death. And how did he die? He died of cholera. That's tragic. Do you mind if I have a, a quick look at the damage that was done to the church? By all means. Thank you. Mind the work site. We're just working on getting this whole thing covered up for the time being until we can rebuild properly. Certainly. And as always, I will leave for my card and say, you know, in case, in case you think of something relevant to the damage and the explosion in case something comes up. Thank you. Of course. So um, I'll, I'll just go to where the explosion occurred, and I just want to see if there's any remnants of the device, of uh, the explosives. Not so much like the, the charred damage of the wood, but like the dynamite or whatever it would have been. Hard to tell. The ground 
isn't that badly displaced, just lightly gouged uh, with most of the damage being to the building itself. Uh, of course, the flames curled upwards and it's mostly blackened at the top edge of the church. All the white out exterior turned black, but it's uh, impossible to tell what caused the explosion. Okay. Hmm. I'm wary of going to speak with Ben Fitzpatrick because involving the police in what is ultimately a mob-related loss of explosives, I think, could be a bad idea. So, I'm at a loss. You hop back in your vehicle, a little unsure of your destination, but you're out here in northern San Bernardino. You're not that far from the job site, from Roy's Garage's old location. You sort of half-absent-mindedly end up back there, Parked at the end of the road, you don't drive down the road back to where the garage would have been. You're just parked at the end of the road. Half surprised that you arrived back there, feeling this butterfly in your stomach feeling. And you're drawn back to the fact that this stone that you blew up, you did not successfully deal with its control of the world. And how... Can you rid the world of that energy? You can't help but think that you're being pulled back to this location and you would like that to not happen anymore. You want to put this behind you and somehow you need to eradicate whatever energy or thing seems to be coalescing around that pit. And the seemingly the fragments mm -hmm. of that stone mm -hmm. and once again you think about the trauma of that day the day spent at Roy's garage but this time you're drawn to a different aspect as the last time you were at this site you were incapable of climbing down into that hole and so instead your mind wanders to the tunnel you exited from in that moment as you think about those flatlands and look off across the flat horizon in the direction that you would have exited those tunnels from, you must take a stability challenge okay. with an advance of eight called hell of a day as you dwell back on that fateful day. At okay, Roy's I do garage. have two for stability and I do have a plus one to stability. Plus one die due oh, to plus being one die. doing to be numb and ignorant. Well, hell yeah, all right. Due to your numb ignorance, Thank this is not that hard today Thank to you, think back numb on. Ignorance. That's right. Yeah. Thankfully, you just have this sort of Vaseline layer of uh, hangover <laughs> weighing over you yeah. that makes all of the days sort of yeah, I don't know, mental like hardships like a it. little easier. All right, roll number one. Got a six. What do I got? Eight. Uh, with an advance of eight. Yeah, okay. Uh, roll number two. Two. That's eight. That makes the eight. So you reach the advance of eight plus. That was a hell of a day. But you did what you had to do and made some cold hard cash in the process. That real detective shit. Fuck yeah. You know what? You don't even feel your ankle anymore. In the next athletics check you have, you do not get the minus one for your rolled ankle. Woo! And so you sit in your car at the edge of Roy's property with all of this on your mind. What do you do? So the tunnel that I came out of, can I get back in that way? Yes, you can. Well, let's do that. 
I failed to climb down through the pit before, so let's take the easier route then. You park your car off the edge of the road on the shoulder and start walking through the sagebrush and dry grass to, in the direction that you hope will find that tunnel entrance. And sure enough, you crest over a hill and you see it in the distance. That menacing tunnel that you know leads back underground. As established previously, you have a flashlight and you of course brought it with you. You flick on the flashlight and cast its beam into the dark, earthy depths of the tunnel. What do you do? I guess I want to try to get to the the point where the tunnels converge to the place where the statue was. I want to see if I can find a fragment of the statue. Because that seems to be what's causing at least some of what's going on. It seems that Thomas Thengen has a portion of it, and that seems to have been what might have sent him down his particular path. So I'm curious to see what happens if I find a chunk. So you follow the beam of your flashlight, breaking the edge of the darkness in front of you as you retrace your steps through this cave and are sort of met with little waves of flashback as you remember yourself scrabbling and crawling and running and falling and cutting yourself as you fled this cave the first time. Uh, but it does feel familiar. You do feel that you are heading the correct direction and uh, eventually see light at the end of the tunnel as this uh, pit that was under Roy's garage is now open to the sky and it's about uh, two in the afternoon. And you walk back into this, you know, pit uh, with its silty tan floor speckled in sharp pieces of something that looks a lot like onyx and that's the pieces of this thing that existed underground well and uh oh the, sorry the feeling in the pit of your stomach returns yeah i bet because as much as i'm curious about what will happen when i pick this up i'm a little little scared too um by all accounts thomas thengen kind of lost his mind I don't want the same thing to happen to me, but I also feel, I guess, like I've faced down some of these things already and hopefully have uh, some grounding when it comes to picking them up. So I'm going to grab a little chunk of what is maybe and is maybe not onyx and see what happens. With your bare hand? Yep. You pick up the piece of stone and it's cold in your hand, as to be expected, but as you hold it in your hand, it does not warm to the touch of your hand. It appears to just hold the cold of the depths of this cave within it. You also just feel like you're in the presence of something nasty, something you don't want to be around. There's just a general sense. You, you are applying like a personality to this piece of inanimate stone in your hand. It has a personality and it's nasty. You don't want to be around whatever this is, but it doesn't overtake you uh, beyond that. You are numb and ignorant and you have dealt with worse before and you have the mental fortitude to deal with this situation. Do I feel any kind of connection to other stones? Any, any like, you know, it's brothers and sisters. Do I feel a draw towards anything? Because that's what I was hoping for. You put this thing in your hand and are, can feel it. There's a physical response 
response to it, an emotional response to having this piece of stone in your hand. And you can tell that every other piece littering the base of this pit carries an equal amount of that in it, whatever that is. But you don't feel them while you hold this one. Right. You just feel very aware, like every other little piece of stone has a set of eyes yeah. peering back gotcha. at you. Just fun. Let me pick up another piece and see if I feel different. Like two pieces at the same time. You grab a second piece in your left hand, so you're now holding one in each hand. Yeah. And you feel a light electrical thrum from one hand to the other. You feel it most in your joints, in your elbows and your shoulders. I'll put the second piece down. I'll put the first piece in my pocket. And then I want to see if I can go down the other tunnel. So there are three exits from this pit, but you are drawn and focused on the one that you watch the beings run out of. That's the one I wanted to go down, yeah. You follow this tunnel for a half a mile, for a half kilometer at least, and there is just more tunnel. An hour has passed, and you have walked in one direction. And I haven't found anything. You've found nothing. There's been the odd branch, but they seem to narrow. There seems to be a main artery, and you're on it. But you're deep underground, and time is passing, and you have not found a way out yet. Is there anything in my travels down this path that give me reason to press on? The silty floor of the tunnel is pitted like many steps have been taken across it. It looks trodden, and it could be them when they all disappeared a week ago, when they all ran down that tunnel a week ago, but there's a sense that other things have traveled down this tunnel, but there's no sound beyond that. You don't know how long this tunnel is. So what time of the day is it? Your best guess is it's about 2.30 in the afternoon. My best guess. I don't have a watch. You check your watch, (laughs) and it's 2.12 p.m. (laughs) Thank you. It's like 1940. Everyone's got a watch, right? Uh, I'm going to keep going. You continue moving onward and start to realize that it's it's taken an incline, that it's now working its way uphill. Okay. Um, the silty, sandy floor of the tunnel that's been a, a real pain in your ass. It's been very laborious to walk this tunnel. It's, it's lessening. You're starting to touch down into rock under your feet a little bit more as you start to take a bit of an incline. You continue moving upward getting a sense of dread, a sixth sense of dread that you're not quite sure where it comes from. And then you begin to feel a breeze, a change in the air and a sense of air pushing back against you. Well, I kind of have to keep going at this point. Um, uh, just thinking like, is it how, how much more time has passed? Just trying to keep a, a, a handle on my day, right? So as you continue moving up this incline and start to get more of a footing into the stone underneath it, you check your watch, and it's another two hours have gone by. But the wind is, the air is touching your face. There's a change in the air. It is now after 4 p.m. And that means, though, that I've been walking for three hours, which means it's going to be after 7 before I get back to my car. I got to keep on though. Like, like I'm getting close to something. So the tunnel starts to change. It's less like burrowed ground and more solid stone and it's getting narrower 
and you weave among a vertically narrow path that ends at a wall. Yeah. But you notice that the breeze was coming from here, so there must be a way through. And you notice that down to your feet, there is a way through. Yeah. So you crouch down and look, and it appears to go for another 10 or 12 feet, narrowing before exiting out to something. It's kind of hard to tell. It doesn't get direct daylight. So whatever is on the other side, it's not just like straight out into the desert. It looks to be a bit stone. You hear some shuffling and almost a few little noises, like a few snarls. You're reminded of the creatures you saw under Roy's garage, but you physically cannot fit under. You could understand how the weird, lively uh, creatures were able to make this gap, but fuckers. you are not. And then you see something you didn't expect to see. You start to try to put into focus what you're what you're looking at through this gap, and it looks like a brass post, and maybe a pair of brass posts. Might be the headboard of a bed, maybe. You're not entirely sure, but... There are some man-made oh, objects wild. on the other side of this gap. That's wild, because I happen to remember that someone was removing a bed from their home not that long ago. And by not that long ago, I think I mean yesterday. Not that you have any description of what that bed looks no, like. No, but, but if, if, if someone's telling me it might be a bed. So, um, can I kick at this opening and see if I can expand it a little bit? No, so what you're looking at is like two shelves of stone that taper to an even smaller amount that your fat ass can't even get into the beginning of, let alone the other side. All right, okay. What are the odds that uh, as I wind my way back out of this tunnel, I could figure out roughly where the location on the other side of the wall is in the above world? I mean, spatially, you should be able to figure out a general direction. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I will, I'll go back, because I guess there's not much I can do at this point. You retrace your way all the way back. Uh, You enter the tunnel in the bright sun of midday and exit the tunnel in the dimmer sun of evening. Yeah. You turn back and looked at the tunnel and then look behind it across the dry plains to the tan stark foothills that lead to the mountains and have a general sense that you are on the other side of something nestled into the northeast foothills or mountains. Okay. Several miles away. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, it's late enough that yeah I don't want to try to find um, what that location was but if I have if I have a map in my car um, I would like to like pen in an X roughly where I think it is because I think from now to tomorrow it might get hazy most definitely you have a map on you you've been all over this North San Bernardino and because you are no longer broke I can understand you purchasing a map so. You grab the map out of your glove compartment, scrawl an X on it in the general vicinity of where you think it'll be, and then what's Jack's next move? I'm really intrigued by the uh, the missing Johns uh, going on in the red light district, and now that the sun has gone down, this seems like the appropriate time to go and see what might be up there.
is SHUB Radio. I'm DJ Dan. All night long, I'm Dan with the plan. All right, this is our new LA label. I'm loving the music coming out from them. It's EpidemicSound.com. What a weird name, but I'm loving the new music coming out of this LA label. Yeah, it's going to be 98 degrees through the weekend. Blue skies for that wonderful full moon on Sunday. Now, here's another great track from this new studio out of LA, EpidemicSound.com. So you enter the red light district. A lot of two-story shop buildings, a scattering of taller slum apartments and brothels. Every building stands a space away from its neighbors, creating a labyrinth of alleyways and alcoves, perfect for illegal activities. You drive to a fairly busy street, Clearly a drug deal going down, you know, ladies of the night on the corner, and you pull off to the side. Before you're able to get out of your car, you already see this uh, rather voluptuous lady of the night approaching you. She's got a lot of skin showing, and as you're kind of ready to open your door, she's already starting to reach your door. Hey, sugar, looking for something sweet? I am not at the moment, but I appreciate your interest. What are you here for? How can I help you, honey? I don't know. That's an excellent question. Uh, I'm interested in some of the odd happenings that have been going on on this street recently. Oh, sugar, I know all about what's going on down here. I could tell you all about it. And you kind of see her place her hand open palm resting on the edge of your window. I'll put 10 bucks in her hand and say, well, what can you tell me? Well, good news, honey. You're talking to Trixie, and Trixie knows everything going on around here. What do you need to know? I need to know everything that's going on right here. So I think it's good that I met you. I'm curious about the disappearance of the Johns that I saw in the paper this morning. Oh, you should really talk to Axel. Axel's here during the day. He's a beat cop you can actually trust. But I'll tell you what I know. I think I witnessed the night John Harmon was here. There's been a new girl hanging around. And did she have a connection with John Harmon? Well, you know, same things I've been telling Axel. There's, there was this new girl last Wednesday. I saw her getting into a very fancy car. She had a nice dress, a little too nice for this business. No mistaking the message she was sending, though. Tall heels, silver dress, shimmered when she moved, a lot of eyeshadow and makeup. I saw her get into that car that then came back, showed up back on Saturday, ended up being John Harmon's. Fancy. Not surprised that it belonged to a man of God. Ooh, those the freaky ones pay extra. Big fish. Car was there a little while. They both got in the back seat. Then a man yelled. Not like he was dying though, more of a startle. Then they seemed to argue and then get to the deed. Yeah, that's right. Afterwards, the girl got into the driver's seat and drove away. I told all this to Axel. And then that same car showed up back here on Saturday. If I'm not mistaken, I think I saw that same new girl that night there too. And what was she doing? Same thing we're all doing, sugar. Trying to make a little cash. Have you seen her tonight? No, I have not. Last time I think I saw her was Tuesday. Um, you, you didn't catch the new girl's name, did you? Never spoke. She was quiet, kept to herself. 
Did you see anything else odd from this new girl? Yeah, she had a bandage on her left arm. Bandage from above her wrist to just below her elbow. Can you describe her to me? Yeah, thin but fit, tall, black hair hanging to her jawline, dead eyes. Something a little wrong behind those eyes. Something dark, something hurt, different than the other girls. She was seemed a little less present. Do you know or have you heard anything else about the uh, the missing Johns along the streets? Oh, sugar, no more than that. I mean, I talk to Axel every day. You know, he's a good boy. But that's about it. All right. Uh, I will check in with Axel tomorrow then, I guess. I thank Trixie for her help. I get out of my car. What time is it? 10.30 p.m. I'm going to spend about an hour just walking up and down the road here just to see if I see anything, see if anything stands out um, as odd or, you know, connected to what I'm looking for or... You're just surprised by the amount of recently washed shiny cars that pull into this Mm. ugly district of town. The image is very disparate. You know, these vehicles seem almost uh, superimposed and out of place, illuminated by the dim street lamps. Uh, juxtaposed against this very slummy background and the people that do their damnness to just try to make a living in that tough world. Yeah. Nothing really out of the ordinary. No. Pretty much what you'd expect to see and find. From time to time, you watch Trixie enter a vehicle, sometimes driving away, sometimes staying in place. And every once in a while, she acknowledges your presence. Okay. Head home, I guess. Hit up spirits. All right. For the third day in a row. Well, why not? It's next door, right? All right. You hear the uh, the now uh, almost comforting ring of his door as yeah. you enter. Hey, man, Jack. Third time's a charm, man. How you doing? Hey, Jens. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Yeah, man. Every day living on this mortal coil is an interesting one. Oh, it certainly is. I'm not going to... I won't debate that. Yeah. Same for you tonight, Jack. Yeah, I think so. I'll head on back. You know the way. I do know the way. So head back to the uh, to the whiskey aisle, uh, looking for that that third new uh, affordable whiskey that I think we heard about way back at the beginning. Yeah, this one's called Big John's whiskey. Big John's whiskey. All right. <laughs> It has a, a big lumberjack man on it. Nice. Tall lumberjack. Nice. Man. As you stand staring down the four cheap whiskey options, you look to your left and see the big orange cat sauntering over to you, slowly purring louder and louder as it approaches. All right. Well, as always, I will crouch and give the cat a, uh, a scratch and a scratch and a pet. It looks up at you. Okay. That's it. It's a cat, man. All right. Then I'll go and pay for my whiskey. Hey, all right. We're oh. trying all the options, aren't we? Oh, we really are. Have you have you had this before, Jens? I can't say that I have. Let me know what you think. What do you like to drink? Absinthe. All right. I like to just see how many different planes of existence I can exist on at once, if you know my meaning. <laughs> I probably don't, but I appreciate your candor. Give Yens about $3.75. Yens. All right. He puts it in a brown paper bag for you. All right, all right, all right. 
and I'll take it home. Awesome. Go in, put on a record, have a drink, roll the dice for my... Uh, What's going through your head, Jack Shepard? What is going through my head? Th it, tomorrow is Sunday. This case needs to be solved by the end of the weekend. For Margaret Deacon's sake. I'm worried. Uh, if there was voicemail, you'd probably have a couple from her just inquiring as to what's going yeah, on here. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm worried. I don't feel like I'm close to breaking this case. Uh, what do you think's going on? What do I think is going on? Um, so there's clearly a few different threads going on here that I, and I, I don't know how to weave them together. I do think that Thomas Thengen and Ella Hurst have been taken over by the, 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 the stones that are the remnants of the statue that I blew up. And they're being guided by some kind of dark force to perform some kind of dark ritual. I think perhaps the, um, the altar that they stole from the church is maybe connected to that dark ritual. That's maybe why they stole it. I don't know. Oh, and from my dreams, of course, I'm in the back of my mind thinking that this dark ritual is going to involve a, a sacrifice of some kind. Um, because I believe my last dream involved um, sacrificing a lamb turning into sacrificing a baby. I don't know what that has to do with the disappearing Johns. Uh, it all seems to be connected, as well as, by the way, the Hyperion plan. Clearly, he wants to blow up the Hyperion plant and, and put a river of shit into everyone's drinking water. And then there's also the, uh, the Global Symposium on Chemical Engineering, which is, is relevant to this as well. And, and this is what's messing me up, is that there's all of these tangents that seem very clearly like they're supposed to be connected. I got no fucking idea how they are. So, all I can hope for at this point is that I can flounder my way to a resolution tomorrow that upon hitting that resolution allows me to go, oh, for how everything is connected because I got no idea how it is right now. <laughs> okay. That's how Jack Shepard is feeling this evening. Frustrated and stupid. back in that inky black space that you are feeling less unsettled to show up in during your sleeps. This is night, what, four in a row of uh, being cast back into this same space. There's something fucking going on here. And the wall of tentacles mm -hmm. writhes away in the darkness in front of you. What do you do? I'm gonna punch it. Fucking pissed off at these tentacles. You walk up and start just punching the fleshy meat of these writhing tentacles, and they seem 
uh, completely unaware that it's happening. They do not. Re- they're completely unresponsive to the input happening. And they grab one of them and yank on it. It retracts back away, leaving a sliver of gap to what's on the other side, and you see a bathroom. Let me grab another one and yank on it. Let me just keep grabbing on yanking until I see an opening. A bigger opening. As you yank on the tentacles and they retreat, the ones on the other side writhe and take their place just as quickly. It's like for every petal of the flower you pull, the one behind it replaces it. You get these brief glimpses of something on the other side that looks very domestic. Well, let's push through into the domestic scene then. And you push through into the other side and recognize the space as Ella Hearst's bathroom. You feel a pain in your left arm and look down and see blood running from this collection of wounds on your left forearm. You feel the warmth and the trickle as droplets form and run down your hand and off the ends of your fingers, hitting the floor. The blood coming out of your forearm appears to be from some sort of pattern, but you it's hard to make out with all the other blood running over it. it's like I've it. carved a pattern into my arm or that someone has? Potentially. What do you do? So, sorry, I'm, I'm in the perspective of this person. I'm inside this person's body. You have a mark on your forearm and blood running down your arm. I want to wipe the blood off so I can have a better look at the mark. A shock and pang of pain fills you as you push the blood away and quickly bear a glimpse at what's underneath before the blood starts pouring out of all the wounds again. And there is seemingly a pattern to it. There are two horizontal slits followed by five wavy lines underneath those slits. Okay. Will I be able to remember this pattern when I wake up the next morning. So far you have remembered all of your dreams. You can vividly remember the last three nights prior to this and see no reason for you to not remember this. I'll look around the bathroom. Do I see anything else noticeable? You're drawn under the counter, seemingly looking for bandages, and as you go to go under the counter looking for bandages, you catch yourself in the mirror, and what looks back at you is a woman. A fit woman with black hair that hangs to her jawline. You continue your investigation under the counter and find some gauze and some wrap. Okay. To wrap your arm. I guess so. As you close the cupboard door under the counter, it's a different cupboard door looking back at you. The finish has changed. The color has changed. And as you get up from a crouch position and look into the mirror, you are now a man. Hardened, skinny, and tanned, and shocked your eyes wide as you stare back into the mirror at what is not a woman. Right. You look over your left shoulder in the mirror and see a tile wall behind you with words smeared on it. A river of shit would cleanse lands so befouled is written in wet, dark shit. shit. What do you do? Uh, I want to go into his kitchen and look for the plans where they were on the table. You head out of the bathroom, opening the door. When you open the door, the other side of the door is the desert. You step through and are back staring at the tunnel entrance you were at this afternoon. What do you do? Let's go into the tunnel, I guess. You step into the tunnel, able to see without grabbing your flashlight. 
and within three steps are at a familiar corner in the tunnel that you saw this afternoon, all stone. You turn the corner and are back at that narrow gash in the ground. But this time, you can hear sex. You hear the carnal noises of two people and a flickering, inconsistent light coming from that gap near your ankles. What do you do? Can I make it through the gap? You kneel down in front of the gap, and while the space is too small for you to come through, you can see in this dancing, inconsistent light the shadowy forms of two people writhing together and those sounds of lovemaking change and turn into the violent bleeding of a sheep and the two forms in the bed change and the seeming shadow of sheets fall flat like they were never there. And the beyond them, across the flickering light of a fire, you once again watch a faceless figure thrust from the air a dagger and the bleeding stop and be exchanged for the cries of a child. And as this shadowed figure lifts the writhing, screaming baby above its head, the firelight is cast upon its face, and you recognize him as the face you just saw in Thomas Thengen's mirror. So that's the face of the person holding up the baby? Yes. Okay. another episode done thank you for listening and especially thank you to our patreon subscribers like john Arridge, who got big john whiskey as a little shout out this episode or paula kreiderman who got no kreiderman's whiskey shout out in the last episode and i'll keep trying to find ways to throw your names in there to be uh, forever immortalized in this little tiny dusty corner of the internet called the mysteries and madness podcast uh, so just uh, thanks so much for listening and there's lots of chat outro stuff and outtakes so without further ado that's coming up right here as well we forgot to roll on the table of unforeseen consequences until about 20 minutes after the episode was done and so i've left it in the back half where it was initially recorded and it it's fitting for kind of the outtake area anyway so if you're interested that's coming up at the end of this chat and just thanks so much for listening uh not gonna lie this new video game cyberpunk 2077 has stolen all my free time uh just between you me and a fence post i've put in over 40 hours into it in like the week since it came out uh so thanks for listening because it forces me to pull myself away from that video game and get some work done all right love you guys have an awesome christmas cheers well there you go Thank there you so you much, go. Todd Sullivan. Thank you, Dave, for continuing oh, to weave such a fantastic story. You know, I'm so dying to see where this goes, and I think part of that is because I'm failing as a detective to, to actually know where things are going to go. <laughs> or I'm failing as a story writer. Either could be correct. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just glad I have a friend who I can see in person and play games with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is great. And, and then turn it into a passion project of audio editing. It's a real uh, gift into my life. 
Let's go play some fucking Fortnite, man. Let's do that. Uh, do you want to talk about your own podcast? You want to give a quick clip or anything? You want to say anything to the listeners? This yeah, is your so, opportunity. Yeah, so on top of this, I have a couple other podcasts because it's been COVID-19 and everyone has to find new ways of entertaining themselves. And so, yep. so many people like make podcasts. Sure. Um, I have one called When Banned Things Happen to Good People. It's about banned books, banned movies, uh, censorship in the arts. You can find it uh, wherever podcasts are found. What was the first book you did? We covered the autobiography of Malcolm X. And what's the second book you did? The second book was uh, The Handmaid's Tale. There we go. Those are both really great books, and I thought that I gained a sense of reading them just from listening to your podcasts. Recommended. Uh, and then I also have uh, Half Cut Conspiracies, where myself and my friend Carlosia have a few too many drinks, then we talk about conspiracies and mostly laugh at them because they're silly and not real. So that's all happening as well. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Yes. This podcast doesn't have ad breaks. At no point do we stop and give you ads. The idea being that we're going to support it just straight through Patreon. That's it. So if you want to join us, it's patreon.com forward slash coal mines clubhouse. This is a coal mine clubhouse production, mm -hmm. which is me in my house trying to create cool content for the internet. Yep, and I don't I don't know what the the lowest uh, tier is at at your Patreon, but honestly, every dollar counts. Every little bit helps. Uh, you know, pay for everything from server costs. Here, I think Dave's mentioned before the uh, the subscriptions to like the Foley and the music services that he uses, and the amount of work that he puts into editing this podcast is extraordinary. Uh, I edit when bad things happen to good people, and I think probably I put in about one-tenth of the effort that Dave does on an effort episode here. I, I, I can't even imagine uh, doing the work, but he, he clearly enjoys it, but probably yes. could use a little bit of financial remuneration there as well. Now. Uh, you know, I was a full-time uh, musician before the uh, pandemic came, and so I'm all about like finding things that I'm passionate about and becoming good at them and then getting paid well enough that I can uh, support myself. Uh, this is something new that I'm very passionate about that I, I think I'm becoming quite good at and hopefully eventually dude, can help dude, support myself with it. Uh, episode 7, the last one that you clearly have already listened to if you're here. Man, that was the one. That was the one I feel like I really knocked it out of the park and we got it. You, not just me, Todd, you had a great performance there as well. Thank you so cool. much. So, just uh, thank you to everybody. Yes, thank if you. If so you're much. listening, uh, I think we're currently around 30 listeners an episode. You're one of them. Fucking rock, man. Yep. Tell your um, friends. Please. Spread it around. Yeah. Just be like, hey, you know what? There's this thing out there. Uh, I think we're a really good introductory podcast to role-playing pod podcasts. Mm. I listen to other like role-playing game podcasts, and they're pretty meaty on the nerd side, right? Most of the people even just speaking on it are pretty nerdy. And I think we're kind of like a gateway nerd podcast. Cool. I would love that to be the case. I think we are. I think that we introduce role-playing game mechanics, but do so with a whole lot of sound and other stuff going on mm. or a bit of a gateway. So if you think that there's other people out there who just, boy, like, boy, I listen to podcasts all day at work. That'll make a seven-hour, eight-hour day feel like about three hours. It's amazing. So uh, just keep listening. Thank you so much. Uh, support the Patreon if you're able, and we appreciate just the listen, just anything at all. So appreciate it. Tell your friends. And Jack Shepard says good night and cheers. So we need to figure out what happens when Jack. You need to roll on the table of unforeseen consequences. Yes, exactly. Let's do it. And that two d six. Two d six, right? No modifiers. No modifiers today. Today, there'll be modifiers one day. Yeah.
I'll figure out how put to all the dice incorporate away, that so. a little better. All right. What are the odds that I get four again? I don't know. Someone smarter than me could tell you. Pretty astronomical, I think. Let's find out. Four. You gotta fucking be kidding me. I'm now stepping over the divider. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> That's three nights in a row of rolling four on the table of what is it? Something unforeseen consequences. Unforeseen consequences. Guess what? You're numb and ignorant. Do you want to, like, just for posterity, you want to take a picture of that? You can post to social media the official third four in a row. <laughs> There. There's video evidence of the fact that this is three fourths in a row. Jack Shepard's numb and ignorant for Un the next day of real. his case. This man lives in an, uh, a numb and ignorant cloud. And what this means is you just never have to finish the rest of this table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just keep putting it off. Yeah, thankfully, I can put off finishing this table again. <laughs> uh, fuck. Oh, it's nuts. Heat! Heat! Heat is coming back! We started at 78, we got down to 72. Not bad, not bad. And I'm Jack, nope, I'm Todd Sullivan. Oh, I, forgot, I like that I better. I forgot who I am. <laughs> That's great, you're really just owning the role. <laughs> and I'm Todd Sullivan. I play Jack Shepard, a former reporter, now investigative journalist, who is searching. You're not a former reporter, now an investigative journalist. Uh, no, I guess that <laughs> makes sense, right? <laughs> I mean, investigative something. Investigative, a private investigator. <laughs> <laughs> investigative privates. I mean, investigators right. the privates. Uh, and in the evenings, I investigate my privates. Yes, as we as many do. But I'm licensed. <laughs> I'm a licensed investigator of privates. Yikes! Full moons are traditionally symbolically relevant to cults. You don't say. Yeah, I wonder if that's something I would know though. Apparently the. The church is about to collapse, though, from the sounds of it. Hey, get it! Goddamn it, get it! Buddy! Come here! Yeah, can I put a fucking put an Irish accent on him, <laughs> or do I become racist? No, it's fine. Like, he could he could have been in, in the U.S. for many, many years. But can I put an accent on him, or am I racist? Uh, no, I don't think so. You're You're white. You can, you can, I can do other white accents, You can do other right? white accents. Because yeah. you've already done tons of white accents. You just can't do a black guy. Right. Or a Latino, which I think maybe you have done. Have you done a Latino? I don't know. I kind of feel like I did a okay. black one accent. <laughs> we talked about it, but then... What was the... Um, Dude, I was accidentally racist. My <laughs> voice went a little bit on the black side there for a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we talked about it as, like, as long as you're... As long as you're not being stereotypically doing the well, okay. Let's let's just if Stephen King, if Stephen King could like fucking write black characters in his books with like, um, like writing the way they speak supposedly, then yeah, right. Why are they allowed to do it and I'm not? Because I'm because I'm auditory. Anyway, we're fucking off topic here. No kidding, Grant. Sorry. Um, Ira Lowen. I have no idea now. Should I redo the scene with an old white lady prostitute? My name's Trixie. Have you got any smoke, son? Yeah. <laughs> For an extra five, you can fuck the throat tube. <laughs> <laughs>
The dream sequences are maybe one of my favorite parts. Like the way that you tell a dream story feels very dreamlike. So kudos to you as a creator. Dude. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know what that means? It means I'm a man who experiences fucking nightmares. Okay, That's enough. what that means. Maybe I didn't want to think about that part. <laughs> yeah. <but>. <laughs> so I I do very literally choose what I bring into my mind because it comes back and manifests through dreams. And I've had nightmares that I woke out of into my own bedroom, only to be still actually in a nightmare mm. and then wake a second time. And I've had some like really nasty shit go down. Yeah. Like I don't sleep with my bedroom door open because I'm afraid of things that don't exist. Yeah. Uh, so I have to be really careful. I don't watch a lot of horror movies and shit for that exact same reason. Uh, but it might help me in this case to kind of tell a good riveting dream. Yeah. I wrote some stuff. And then I drank several beers and whiskeys. And when you know it, fucking went missing. Mm. 